0: Hey guys, welcome to another Guitar Wank Podcast. You have no idea how many times I've done this intro and I still can't get it right. God damn it! (laughs) I've given up. This is the last time. My name is Troy McCubbin and I'll be your host for this Guitar Wank Roadshow edition. I'm just trying to get everything out, all the information I need to present to you, the listener, in the intro without it sounding stupid. Oh my God, it's like trying to trying to do a solo, isn't it? Anyway, we did the Guitar Wank Roadshow last week. It was amazing. It was a huge success. And uh, you, obviously, you're going to get to hear it today. Uh, we hope you guys enjoy it. But big thanks to everyone at Musicians Institute, uh, Beth and Stig. Thank you guys uh, for all your support. To all our sponsors, Sir, who turned up and uh, with a bunch of guys. I think it's like Matt, uh, Don and Travis, they were also fantastic and amazing products that everyone got to play some guitars and amps and pedals and blah, blah, blah. So thank you, sir. Dear Dario, for all your gift bags. I think pretty much everyone that was there, the, the big turnout that we had, got to go home with some kind of prize or gift or gift bag. So thank you so much, dear Dario, for all your support and uh, getting behind the Guitar Wing Roadshow. Uh, Jimmy Dunlop, Guitar Picks. Guys, thank you so much. A bunch of people got them as well. Wireworld Pro Audio Cables. We gave out a bunch of uh, guitar cables. I mean, not cheap, expensive guitar cables, and um, a bunch of people got some of them. So it was a great show. We really enjoyed it. Bruce and Scott and the boys um, played amazingly. Thank you to Travis Carlton, Alan Hertz in Scott's band, and then we got Alex Frank and Smitty on drums in Bruce's band. The guys... Sounded amazing. It was really, really cool. It was a great day, and we plan on doing more of them because it was such a success. If you have a city or a country and you want us to come there, let us know. We'd love to do it. We'd love to take this on the road. Um, It seems like it it will work, and we had a lot of fun doing it. So um, without further delays... (laughs) <laughs> and any more attempts at an intro, because <laughs> this is all I'm doing. All right, this is the Guitar Wank Roadshow. Scott, Bruce, what have we got in store for the people this week? Welcome to another Guitar Wank podcast, ladies and gentlemen. I would like to welcome Bruce Foreman, Scotty Henderson. <laughs> First thing I've got to ask you guys, did you guys enjoy that? Scott, were you feeling that? Cause were you digging it? Were you okay? Were you, were you happy? Uh, no. <laughs> like, I knew it. I, I knew it.
1: You know me. That's the dumbest you know question not you've not. ever asked, ever. <laughs> I'm I, never happy with anything I play, ever. So, you know, he probably is, because he plays good. You like <laughs> you you like well, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a thing where you don't, aren't able to play what you hear, what you want to play. And that has to do with sometimes a lot of different factors. It's hard to tell what factor exactly. This is a loud stage. We're, we're about twice as loud here as we would be if we were playing the baked potato. So the sheer volume kind of fucks with me a little bit. You know what I mean? That it's like a high pressure situation. I feel like I'm being engulfed in this big, huge volume. And I can't relax. And I don't play as well. In that kind of a situation. Yeah, we noticed
0: that. That did yeah. come across. Well, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> You're
1: not going to hear me disagree with you. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. It's loud on stage. So, so yeah. Those are the things I have difficulties with. That's the main problem for me. If I if, I, if there's going to be a problem, it's going to be about volume. Yeah.
2: Bruce, were you happy? Well, you know, I really wanted Scott to sound horrible because. Uh, <laughs> have playing before him, I just was really hoping he he would sound as bad as he thought he sounded, but he didn't. He sounded marvelous and inspiring and I just I, I loved it so yeah but you don't know anything so,
1: about music, so why should I listen to you
2: that's quite true, and uh, that's why I'm probably a happier person than you are and also more socially adjusted, but that's another thing um, just little things like that. You know, I mean, you're always good. I mean, this, this is jazz music. We, I mean, I get up there and, yeah, I've got a great band with great musicians and we have little arrangements that are just kind of starting points for what to do. And then you go for it and I'm reaching beyond myself every second. So I'm not uh, stupid enough to think that I'm going to catch everything. And I just go for it and deal with what I get and live in the moment and continually try to get better. And that keeps me from needing drugs like him. <laughs>
1: Only Xanax.
0: <laughs> I think what we might do, we've got a microphone down here somewhere. If anyone got a question, just raise a hand and we'll get a microphone to you. So,
1: There's one. All right. Remember, there's a, a pedal for the dumbest question. So if you want to win a pedal, you know, think about something really stupid to ask.
0: Uh, uh, Scott, this question is for you. I'm over here. Um, uh, I noticed that you, lately uh, you, you play in a trio a lot. Um, mm-hmm. Is there anything that you would change up about your gear setup if you had to play with another guitar player or keyboard player? Yeah,
1: d- yeah sure. What would you do? Because my, my, my sound is full range, you know, meaning there's a lot of bass. It's very mixed, treble-bass. You know, When you're playing with another instrument, you might need to be more mid-rangey. So I might use a humbucking pickup. That's probably the only thing I'd change if I was playing with a keyboard player, like I did in the old Tribal Tech days, I was using humbuckers. Because you need something more mid-rangey to cut through the keyboards when someone's comping for you. This sound might not work, you know, for that. That's the only thing I think I would change. <laughs> okay, you, you gotta think ask of, a dumb question, Vern. Think you of can't the, just sit there like a dummy. You gotta ask a dumb question.
0: <laughs> yeah, we gotta ask a dumb, good dumb question. And who else has got a question?
1: right, he wins the pedal (laughs) You stole my question, that's what I was going to say What do you think of Alan Holsworth? No, no, no really Um, That's a good question though, to win the pedal Were were you guys nervous before you started playing? I wasn't nervous until about 10 seconds in Yeah
2: It's kind of late, don't you think? <laughs>
1: How
2: about you, Bruce? I, I always get nervous before I play. I mean, even before I practice. There's just so much involved with making music, and if I had to think my way through it, I know that there's no way I could. And so there's just a certain element of uh, just trepidation walking up to the instrument to make you know that the connection is still somewhat there, and and I also really want to sound good but I also know that I'm just making the shit up as I go. So I also have to really make sure that I'm treating my imagination with as much respect or more respect than my, just my technical stuff. So yeah, I'm very nervous, but in a weird way. And I, look at, I don't look at it as nerves. I mean, everybody says nerves, and it's like some negative. We all think bad. Nerves. I'm nervous. Oh, that's bad. I prefer to think of it as just energy and how you know I, i'm i'm excited to play i'm nervous to play i don't want to mess up i mean beth Marlis came to me right before i went to play and if you don't know who she is you can look her up on the mi website and she just said to me don't fuck up
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> so you know i'm always i'm always worried about that and uh, i really want to do good but at the same time it's just energy and i try to channel that energy in a positive direction that's sort of my way of the work around yeah, <laughs> which I you heard today. You know, it's sometimes I can manage to get that sound right out of the guitar. <laughs> All right, we got another question. Uh, Scott, speaking about
1: pedals, that pedal that you had where it looked like you were like twisting. Oh, that's like just volume. It's just volume. Is that volume yeah, I should. It's volume. I shouldn't mess with. Use It's a bad habit I have. Scott. Huh. Yeah, it's a bad habit I have, and that's one of the reasons I'm kind of angry at myself right now, because I told myself I wasn't going to step on that pedal today, and I did. And that pisses me off. You don't know how much that Hello. fucking pisses me off. Yeah, because, because I told myself, don't step on that fucking volume pedal, and I did. And, and, and that you don't know how pissed off. I'm going to go home, and I'm going to like slap myself around a little bit, or hire my friend Rocco to come over and beat the fucking shit out of me. And then tomorrow night at the Baked Potato, I'm not going to step on it because I'm going to be all bruised up and beaten up.
2: All I yeah. can say is that pedal must have been invented by a chiropractor. Because <laughs> watching him do this while he's playing,
1: I'm going like, God, I want to be his chiropractor. There's going to be some yep. big bills for that. It, it does uh, create some, some butt movement. And there, you, you couldn't see him, but there's about 10 girls back there behind stage watching my ass. But, you know, they're embarrassed about it, so they didn't want to come yeah,
2: out. And, he blew all the dough he made on the gig, paying him to do it, too. No, no
1: the, thing is, the thing is about that volume thing is, is the idea is that, you know, my, my band, you couldn't tell from the two tunes that we were playing today because they're different tunes than we normally play. My, we didn't play any of my original music today. My original music has dynamics like crazy. It gets really soft. It, it's very up and down. And in order to keep the gain of the guitar the same, without, I I used the guitar volume to change the gain, so I want a master volume so that when I turn down, I don't lose my gain, and so I I should just turn it down for that particular section, leave it, when I need to turn it up, turn it up a little bit, but what happens is when I subconsciously have my foot on the pedal, I tend to, this is a very weird psychological thing, but, and it's, it, it comes from hating your own playing, but it, 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 it's sort of like that subconsciously I'm ducking notes that I don't think are going to sound good and raising notes up that I'm sure of. That's a really bad habit. I don't do that at home. I don't do that when I play here at school. I don't do that on a jazz gig. But for some reason, it's available, so it's a it's a psychological kind of crutch to go, okay, uh, this I'm not sure if it's going to sound good. Let me turn it down a little bit. This is going to sound great. Let's turn it up really loud. That's That's a bad habit, and sorry I did that. So wow, you're way you can more all kick my ass outside you after you want to. I'm just gonna bend over, and you guys just kicked my ass. Well,
2: <laughs> you know, I just gotta say, you're way more messed up than I thought you yeah, were. Yeah,
1: I'm fucked up, man. There's no doubt about it.
2: Uh, uh, hold on, what do you mean it's
0: a it's a what volume pedal? It does this? Yeah,
1: yeah. It's just a it's, well, volume pedals. Traditional volume pedals are are they're useless, right? Because as soon as you as soon as you move it, everybody hears it, right. You, there's no way you can subtly change your volume with a traditional volume pedal it's either like you know or Hah. so so with this with this thing you can just change it just a little bit so you can mix yourself in the band no one hears that you just turned up a tiny bit oh wow and it's it's a very uh, there's a lot of famous guitarists using it who, now
0: well, who makes that I
1: invented it you invented it yeah I'm an inventor it's a potentiometer in a box I'm fucking smart man <laughs> So we
0: just send you money and you send us oh, one? you can
1: buy it from the same people that you buy the RC Booster from, Exotic. Oh, Exotic. Yeah, okay. it's an Exotic pedal. They make it. They give me a profit. Yeah. Yeah. I'm wow. a millionaire now because of it. It's fantastic.
0: I didn't know that.
1: It's amazing. So, uh, Scott, and, and this is for Bruce
0: as well, please describe your setup today because you guys both sounded amazing. But how are you running this gear today? Bruce,
1: Bruce, you know, this is a complicated question, Bruce. How do you run that sophisticated gear that you God, have? God, I,
2: I was just had such high hopes we were going to talk about music.
1: Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I guess this is the way it
2: goes. I've uh, been trying to tell I for I a have an old time. amp. I have an old amp, and I plug into the input, and there's a bunch of knobs on it, and I turn them until it sounds the way I like it. And then I kind of leave it and just sort of play louder and softer. This is my tone and volume knob right here. And uh, that's kind of the way I work it. I'm sorry.
1: I've been trying to tell Bruce for many years that it is, and he's kind of, you know, he grew up in a weird era. He doesn't understand that it's not about notes and music. It's about fucking gear. And he doesn't get it, you know. And I've been trying to tell him. He's, you know, well, I am trying to work it out where I'm actually
2: looking for companies that will pay me not to use their stuff. <laughs>
1: that's a good you know, that, that will
2: be a business plan for me, I think. That's yeah, a
1: good plan.
0: Oh, that's awesome.
1: Um, any Questions? Well, I was I was wondering if you would both talk about um about tone, but but not as it relates to gear, as it relates to your to your touch. Like like Bruce, I noticed you you really vary. Well, you you do too, Scott. Your, um where you play on the guitar and how hard you play, and um, without effects, you get radically different sounds.
2: Well, that's exactly what we, this is like, I back to that right hand is the volume and tone knob. I mean, there's things that make sound on a guitar. You've got pressure, placement, speed, and angle. That's the four things you're dealing with. And if you don't sit and just experiment with your instrument to find out what happens when you do something, like, what the hell are you doing? You know, I mean, come on. It's the first thing you can do on a guitar. You don't even need to play a C chord to be able to do that. You know, just, wow, this gives me this, this gives me this. I'm, oh, this happened. Oh, okay. Boom, 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 boom. You know, hit it harder, hit it slower, hit it with an angle. Okay, hit it here, hit it there. Okay, I know what that is. And then, basically, you just let your mind's ear, your conception of what you want to hear, and the situation you're in around you, you know, like Smitty plays a lot and likes to play kind of loud. So, naturally, I would generally back off the you know the fingerboard an inch further than normal, softer jazz drummers. Because up by the fingerboard, it, the sound is so rich that the attack is lost a little bit, and you get more attack as you come closer to the bridge. So I'll just do that, or, or hit a little harder, you know I mean? Just adjust. But I'm always adjusting acoustically the situation that I'm playing with. It's not like I think about it anymore. But at one time, I did. Speed, placement, pressure... An angle. That's basically all I got to work with, so I ought to, I ought to experiment with it. You know? Speed, uh, Speed, well, the faster you hit a note, actually, the cooler it sounds, colder. It's like blowing. If you blow slow air, it's warm, and if you blow real fast, it's cool air. I mean, I, I played saxophone when I was a kid. And we used to talk about that a lot. But the same thing, when you're playing across the strings and you're moving the pick real fast, it gets a colder sound, you get a warmer sound if you strike it a little slower. And that's just all part of the physics of playing the instrument we play, regardless of whether you plug into pedals or not. I mean, these things still hold true. Yeah. Oh, well, you know, okay, they're applauding because once I made sense here, you know. (laughs) Hello? Oh,
1: oh, oh yeah. I guess I'm supposed to ask, uh, answer the same question. Um, um, for the microphone? You know what? microphone. I, will, I will say this just not to try to sell, but I just did a tone video and, and for, for my music masterclass. And wow, I mean, this video really goes through everything, everything uh, that you would need to know to record your guitar at home. Because there's a lot of people that don't have a lot of experience in the studio. They count on an engineer, and a lot of times engineers don't know about guitar. Some do, some don't. So if you can do your own guitar recording, um, you know, it's great. And and this video really helped you do that. And one of the biggest things on the video, surprisingly, is how you touch the guitar. Because so many people think it is about gear. And good gear is great. I mean, if you have good gear, that's definitely going to help. But definitely the way you pick and the way you touch. Like, for instance, I I don't use the point of the pick. I use the big end of the pick. It sounds amazingly different than the point of the pick. It sounds way more like your fingers. And I still use my fingers. And when I want really fat notes, I use my fingers, always. So I've always got this finger, my bird finger, ready to hit a note and make it really fat. And then if I have to play something faster, I use my pick. And you can play with the very top of the pick, uh, which it's sort of like, a, it's almost like you're scraping the top of the pick against the string, which what is, was what Brian May does with a quarter, but I'm only doing with a pick. And it gives you the biggest, fattest tone. That's, you can almost not tell the difference between that and your finger. And when I hear guys playing with the point of the pick, I go, oh, that sounds so Im- incredibly thin. And also, you know, one of the main things I do is I roll the tone down on the guitar. Instead of, instead of jacking the guitar all the way up to 10, you get a pretty ACDC rock and roll sound. And that's fine for that kind of music. But for the kind of music I play, I want a fatter tone, like a saxophone, kind of. And, and so I roll the tone down on the guitar. And that helps quite a bit to fatten it up and make it sing and make it sound legato and like that. So, but yeah, just what Bruce said. The, the way you touch the guitar, especially where you hit it on what part of the string, picking right there by the, really behind the treble pickup at the bridge gives you that really cool Jeff Becky kind of thing that's very funky sounding. Then picking up by the fretboard gives you a completely different sound. I found that picking a, on the pickup is the worst place you can pick. I, I don't really know why, the technical reason, but when you pick between the pickups, it sounds better than when you pick on the part on the pickup you know you get a fatter tone. So yeah, that's that's it. Dennis. Okay. Scott, you said it's not about the music, but you yeah. started <laughs> out with you started out with the tune from the most popular jazz album of all time. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I yeah. love all blues. Yes. Yeah. And Bruce, when are you going to cover Weather Report?
2: <laughs> well, it's mostly sunny. <laughs> No, I played. I played weather report music throughout my life. I mean, but you're right. I should revisit that music and, you know, make Joe Zanell roll in his grave a little bit. That would, that I mean, do. It. He, he would do this. He would do the same thing for me. I'm sure.
1: Joe would say, "You can't play that kind of music on the guitar, so don't even try." <laughs> What's that? Oh, thank you. Thanks. Thanks. I, I I was in this band with Jeff Berlin. Jeff Berlin and. Um, Dennis Chambers, and we played a whole album of, of, of mostly Weatherport music, and I have a lot of that stuff under my fingers, and, and Black Market is by far the easiest one. I mean, Elegant People, I know D-flat Waltz, I know The Orphan, I know some of the really difficult ones, you know, so, and I take pride that I can play that on the guitar, because it's fun, and it took a lot of It took a lot of practice to be able to nail that stuff on the guitar because a lot of it's pretty hard because it's keyboard voicings and you have to figure out how to manage to make the melody happen with the voicings at the same time. It's difficult music to play, and I really enjoy it. It's a challenge. Hey, guys. Um, Recently, I've been pretty obsessed uh, with fundamentals of the fretboard and really trying to play everything in every position. Um, I recently got together with Larry Koontz to talk about some of this stuff, and he's like, hey man, I appreciate you being so thorough, but the way that you're going about it isn't super practical because there's so much time that you could spend doing all these things on the fretboard. So I wonder uh, if you guys could talk about that a little bit, the nature of the fretboard, and how there's multiple places to play the same thing, and balancing kind of the desire to be thorough and to like cover all your bases, but also being practical with the amount of time we have. Can I get this one first? Because I know exactly what he's talking Uh, about. I'll let you take this one. Just, just, and then I know you're gonna have something to say too, but but really quickly, because my answer is gonna be fast. Every time I learn a new thing to play on the guitar, it's simply this. I find the place where it lays the best and it's the easiest to play, period. If it's harder to play there, I don't learn it there because there's gonna be other stuff in that area of the neck that is easier to play. So how do you learn all these hundreds of things, and you learn it in the easiest place that is to play. You don't need to learn it all over the place. You just learn that thing and that's gonna be the place where you play it and then you're gonna have other things that lay better on other parts of the neck and pretty soon you're gonna have a whole vocabulary that covers every single piece of the neck. It's not like I'm gonna not learn this lick here and then learn it here and then learn it here and then learn it here, that's a huge time waster. How many times are you gonna play that lick? It's like if I learn the sentence I left my coat at the bank I can only use it if I leave my code at the bank, right? It's dumb, right? So I don't want to learn to say that a million times in a million different ways. I only know how to say it once. You see that you get the gist of it? You differ or you think it's different? God, you know, I find
2: both of those answers great, and yet I don't really subscribe to them. <laughs> uh, you know basically, I play in s- with such a different mental concept. I mean, I'm just making stuff up as I go, and that's what I honor, is this the whole process of creativity and discovery. So wherever I happen to be, whatever I happen to hear, I go for it. And so I do need to, I do have certain things I do, I just practice, like, I'll cut off everything but three, you know, a third of the neck, and just play. And just, like, not try and play licks, like, he's talking about. But just play music and like play songs and not allow myself to have all the rest of the access and force myself to discover and be creative and work there and then move maybe to another area and just do that. You know what I'm saying? Because I do think fundamental but the, the knowledge, where's the knowledge? Is the knowledge that you just know it or the knowledge that you're playing music and you can do it? And I worry sometimes when we do these sort of technical things like that, these, these method, method the methodology, like you're a Methodist, you know, you're just doing it this one way, and that's not creating the, the skills that you need to play. I mean, you, hopefully, our practice is serving what we want to do musically. So, for me, I don't see anything wrong with, you know, Figuring, like, I mean, if you take a song that you like, you know, and challenging yourself to play it all around the neck and start on different fingers and, and be able to do that, that's that's because you're training your ear to grab for intervals. But if you're doing it in some sort of work this look out here, work out this look, and that, that does sound like a complete uh, overuse of time when you could be doing something far more beneficial musically.
1: Let me butt in for a second. He's on a different level right now, talking on a different level than I was. He's on a higher level. I'm talking about more for beginning guys who are learning vocabulary. You don't just learn jazz from nowhere. You learn it from the greats, from listening to the great musicians that came before us. Nobody learns it out of a bubble. You can't live in a bubble and learn jazz. You have to listen and learn licks from all these different people. When you get up to the level he's talking about, those licks that you learned are no longer quotes. They are real organic elements of what you play and what you improvise you have morphed them into just not being a lick like ba du 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 right that's a lick but if you go ba du du da da du du that's yours now right so you've changed it from what you learned it to make it your own you've changed the rhythm you've changed maybe the thing you've changed the you've changed everything about it to make it yours at that point you play everywhere, all over the neck, and you just play. But what I'm talking about is when you're learning your first vocabulary, learning these classic lines that that we all play. And don't tell me nobody does, because that's bullshit. You know, because there's nothing worse than some people, these jazz players, that say, yeah, man, "I play my own shit, man." I don't believe. Fuck you. You don't either. You know, there's no fucking way. You learn that shit from Charlie Parker and John Coltrane and all the fucking same people. We all learned it from. And you may you may organize it differently, and you may cut and paste it together differently. But I'm hearing that same fucking shit. I'm hearing da 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 da, and I'm hearing da 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 da, and I'm hearing a million different words that those fuckers have been playing since the fucking '40s. So nobody has their own fucking shit. You know, you may have your own style of playing it and pasting it and cutting it together, but. You first start learning it. You start learning from the masters and you learn a vocabulary of of jazz and then you build on it. And then you get to the level of where Bruce is at and where he's coming from is where it's not about licks and where you play them anymore. It's about just playing music and not paying attention to any of that shit. Because think about it. When you were little, you learned a bunch of words. You were, you were zero years old. You were in the womb. You didn't know shit. You came out when you were about six years old or seven years old you started speaking kind of like an adult people were saying oh this kid sounds like an adult now they're starting to make sentences and make sense it takes about that long to learn the vocabulary and be able to speak it same as music it take about five or six years to get enough vocabulary where you can speak and sound intelligent with what you're doing same exact thing it's just a language would you agree with that and,
2: yeah and and I don't see that anything that Larry it, has said or anything Scott has said or anything I' have said are really contradictory i don't you know what I mean I, yet they they could be taken that way they're not really. I think we all agree on on what needs to happen, but most importantly, people it's about playing music there's so much nerdiness and so much neuroses and so much worry about such unimportant <laughs> shit here when it's just about playing music. I mean come on people have been doing this since you know they were banging on rocks and everything was cool till we all got all competitive and, and there was money involved and you know and, and it, come on, we're just playing music here. How about making that what it's about?
1: I just came here to play louder than Bruce, and I think I accomplished that. I think
2: he did. I, we have a winner. Hey. <laughs> you, get, you get the pedal. Can I ask a question? Oh, here you he go hey, br-
3: hey Bruce
0: no no this is this is uh this this is a good question. I wanted to win the pedal, but this, this isn't a stupid question. Um you guys were talking about jazz music, so how important um when you're learning uh traditional songs in the in the jazz art form? are the lyrics of the songs that existed before people started blowing over them and and ditching the
2: lyrics? I thank you for asking that question. Uh, It always, it's, if you know them, you're going to play better than if you don't. I mean, to to know as many songs as I do, I don't think there's any way you could know all the words, you know, I mean, and I don't, but the ones I do know the words to, and I, I play much better, and there's a lot of reasons why. The guitar is a funny instrument, you play a saxophone or a trumpet, you're actually using the part of your body that we communicate with, you talk. So our airstream and our articulation and all that inflection comes right out of your mouth. When we play the guitar, we use what we fight with, what we, you know, know, it's a whole different mechanism. So to build the nuance of communication into a guitar, it very, it helps to have phonetic reference for the articulation. Because every syllable has a different sound. And to start to try to get those sounds out of your instrument gives you this whole nuanced palette of articulation. Besides the fact, I played a gig last night with a really great saxophone. Was anybody there at my gig last night? Good. So you don't know who I'm talking about. Okay, I played with this. I kind of knew that all along, anyways. Because there was nobody there. No, no. But. This guy played the shit out of the saxophone. I mean, you could tell he had so much vocabulary and so much harmonic knowledge. And then we just played some really simple tunes, like Bye Bye Blackbird, maybe those of you have heard of songs like that. And he didn't know them. He didn't know the songs. Yet, of course, when he had the chart in front of him, the guy proceeded to play amazing solos except they were all the same. Because why? Because a G minor is a G minor. It doesn't give a shit what it sounds like. If you want to puke all over a G minor, go ahead and puke all over a G minor. It doesn't matter if it's in Bye Bye, Bye Blackbird or Autumn Leaves or, or or any other song. You know. So when you have a connection to the song, which is even more important than everything I've said, when you have an actual connection to the song naturally your your creative side is going to come up with different ideas and then you won't be so damn bored and keep regurgitating the same vocabulary every song. You'll actually have an agenda for how to be creative and take yourself in a new place and really feel great at the end of the night that you've gone some new places and you said some things that you felt were expressive and worthwhile. So that's where I think that, you know, and really... If you want to write songs, what better way to learn how to do that than to learn a lot of songs. And if you don't know the melody, you don't know the song, and you really should know the words because it will make it better, but you got to know the melody and the chords or you're just like, you're not going to be able to write anything. You're not going to be able to take that song anywhere new. You're just going to treat it like every other song. And we all are guilty of that, right? We're all guilty of having a real book and kind of doing the obligatory chorus where we have to play the melody. We, most most young people don't even know why we have to because nobody knows the song anyways anymore. And then we get to uh, wank on our scales and licks and have everybody applaud at the end. And uh, You know what I mean? That's just not to music to me. Sorry.
1: Well, I'm a little insulted because I've made a whole career out of puking over G minor. <laughs> So, so, but well, nevertheless, you know, the, the one thing, I don't know about lyrics, I, I don't know, because there's not many lyrics to the songs I learned, you know, there's no lyrics in Weather Report music, or, or any of my music. There is some, I wrote some blues albums with some lyrics, they're all dirty, but, um, but anyway, uh, the main thing is, when you don't know a tune, and when you're struggling to read it, I don't know about most of you, but most guitar players are pretty not too... Swift with the written page, because, because I know me, as soon as I look at my guitar, if I take my eye off the music and I look back on the music, I'm usually lost. Because I can't find where I was if you don't know the tune. If you know the tune, it's different. You, you know where you are. You can spot that chord. But if you're just reading a tune cold and then you look at your, your acts, especially, you know, those tunes where they write, like, five bars on one line and then four bars another and three on one and four, and you always look to the beginning of the page for the beginning of the phrase and it's not there, and you go, fuck, where the hell am I now? So that's what happens to me. So I'm not even going to bother playing a tune unless I know it unless I've memorized the melody and memorized the the chords, because I know I play so much better when I know the song. It, it, the other, it's just a waste of time. It's just a technical exercise in reading, really, not even playing in music. It's more of a technical exercise in reading. And I'm not saying that it's bad to learn to be a good reader. But as far as playing, you're always going to be play your best when you know the song and you know the melody, and you play off the melody sometimes too, and you have that melody in your head while you're playing, always makes you play better.
2: Well, again, this is a modern jazz thing. We, we get this idea that all you do when you solo is play over the changes. I mean, who came up with that stupid idea? This is ridiculous. <laughs> well, you know, now now I'm going to call Rocco for sure. Um, this is the dumbest thing I mean, we really, you know, come on, guys. There's a whole bunch of information to use here for a solo. There's the melody. There's what other people have played. There's what people are playing around you. There's what you just played to base ideas upon. And all you're going to do is use those chords that are going around like some hamster on a wheel? Really, guys? Come on. We're. I mean... People already look down on us because we're guitar players, but we don't have to be that
1: stupid. stop yelling at my kids?
3: Okay. <laughs> uh,
1: just a quick question
3: on, uh, we're talking about learning, and, and, and as we know, this is a, an evolutionary process that I personally, and I'm sure a lot of you, uh, are never happy. I'm, I'm, I'm not content at all where I'm at. And I've heard you guys for years. I've you've been in the background listening. And your your styles
2: have changed. I mean, you guys have grown into who you are today. Who are you or working are you working on who you're going to be tomorrow? I mean that's a that's a constant process. You're right. I mean, Dave, that's just Every day I get up, I reassess where I am, I'm listening to what I want to hear. Of course, the situations that I'm playing in affect that as well as my desire to go to a place. It's just a work in progress. It's just, and if, in music, if you're all looking at that day, I can't wait to get good, and I'm going to be miserable until that day I get good, then I'm going to be happy. You're missing the point. It's all about, you, if you don't enjoy getting good rather than being good, you're going to be a very unhappy person. I'm just here to warn you. Because no matter how good you get, you never catch up to what you're hearing and conceiving. And you're never happy until you, you know, completely satisfied until you catch that. But by the time you catch up to that, you're already beyond that. So if you can't reconcile enjoying the process of getting good, being in music is going to be particularly excruciating for you?
1: For me, it mostly depends on what's happening on Game of Thrones. (laughs) Like if Daenerys has a really good week, I'm going to play my ass off. You know, when she turned the coals over and burned down the temple and came out naked, I played my ass off that week. (laughs) So... But I have to agree with, with Bruce that it's, a, it's, it's not about where you are, it's the road. It always is. Because you're never going to be totally satisfied. You know there, there are nights, music is like life. You have bad days, you have good days. If you look at it in a, in a percentage basis, I play 10 gigs. I'm going to play eight of those gigs are going to be the usual shit that I always play. And I'm going to come off and going well, I didn't play bad. You know, it's all right. One of the nights is going to just suck. Ass. Terrible. And one night is gonna be brilliant. And I'm gonna be patting myself on the bat. And that's how it is for me. So I don't try to, you know, once this is over, like today, I don't feel like I really played all that good today, but you know what? It's over. I'll do better tomorrow. I'm gonna play at the baked baked potato tomorrow night and I'm gonna kick ass. You know, and if I don't, then I'm gonna do it the next night at Alvis. So it's just an ongoing thing it, you, you may be more happy with one performance than another but I don't like to compare them because why what's the point like Bruce told me something one time I thought was really smart which first one, one time, first <laughs> one so time. Yeah. One time. <laughs> it was the one time it was that one time he said something that it really meant because normally I ignore anything he yeah, says yeah. but but he said this one thing he says when you play a gig you wanna you want to go home and say, you know, I did my best and I I played pretty good and I want to be happy that I made all the audience happy and we had a a fun time. Then in the morning, you want to wake up and go, I sucked last night. I need to practice my ass off. You don't want to have it the opposite where you go home thinking, oh, that was a horrible night and I feel like shit. And then when you wake up in the morning, go, that wasn't so bad. I think I'll watch TV all day. So... That was a really smart statement. It's like, you know, when you go on stage, you really think of yourself highly. You think you've got to have a little bit of swagger when you go up on stage. You can't go up on stage afraid. Go up on stage confident, feeling like you're a bad dude or a bad chick. Just a bad motherfucker, right? <laughs> so, you go up on stage and you feel that way and you and, and you and you do your best. After it's over, you know, you satisfy, you wake up the next day I got a lot to learn. I got a lot to go. You practice. That's it. And ha- be happy with it because that's your lot in life and it's not going to change until you die. That's that's going to be kind of the your M.O. for the rest of your life. Just practice, try to get better, practice, try to get better without ever thinking that you're going to reach the place where you're going to be because I don't think anybody does.
2: The ones that think they do are the ones you don't want to play with or hang out with.
1: I mean, Michael Brecker died, you know, and... He was still saying I suck. <laughs> there you go. Question answered.
0: <clears throat> so if I get it right, basically you guys are saying don't waste your time in school, just get out there and play. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say that because I'm out of school and I teach at a school. I'm yeah, joking. And, and, and,
2: and adage, he's joking, of course. Of course. But <laughs> but there is an element of truth in that and that I knew it. while while no you need school is great. What's great about school is there's so much information for you. You're in a community of people who share your interest. You've got teachers who are badass that can mentor you. There's obviously uh, a certain amount of energy in the community that gives you uh, opportunities to play. That's great. But if this is all you treat this like and then you get this diploma and you're going to get out and you think there's a job waiting for you or something, then you've got the wrong you've got the wrong subject. You know, you need to be out there in the world playing too. And, you know, and in the process of doing everything you want to do after school while you're in school. That's where I see the problem of schools. kids go into school and they let us teachers just, yeah, we'll give you work to do. That's what we're paid to do. But if you don't bring your intensity and your vision and your desire to play and you don't create your own experiences and take the most from the community that you can, then it's your fault because that's not what we're paid to do. We're paid to mentor you and give you information. And that's only a small part of the whole. And that's what school provides that nothing else in the history, I mean, before that, when I came up, I was had to find the guys that were playing and make them let me hang out with them. It was nothing like a school where I was around so many people my age that were interested in the same thing, and the teachers were all these guys I wanted to hang out with. They were, they were I mean, they were being paid to hang out and share with me. I mean, this is such a wonderful place to be, but it's only a part of the picture, and the people who do well in this environment are the ones that understand that. The ones that think this is just an extension of high school are going to be really pissed off at how much money they owe at the end because they didn't get the full experience out of it.
1: Also, you know, when you go to school, you don't really go to become a better player, you go to learn things. When you become a better player, that's the years after school where you're playing five nights a week and you're taking all the stuff that you learned in school and implementing it every night into your playing. That's when you improve as a player. Basically, when you're at school, you're a pack rat. You're just picking up information here and there and here. I got worse when I went to school because I wasn't playing every night. I was playing five nights a week before I came to GIT. Then I spent a whole year and I wasn't gigging. Of course I got worse. But I learned a lot of stuff. And then the next year when I started playing five nights a week again, oh, let me try this, let's try this, let's try this. Then I started to see myself grow and that's the, the experience of playing every night is what makes you a good musician, really. That's really what makes you a good musician. School is a place where you just learn stuff. But you've got to have that experience of playing every night. Jeez, this is such a serious podcast. Yeah, I thought right? we are going to be guys, drunk and tell jokes. You guys are Jesus. killing it for me. Yeah, this yeah, yeah. Like... yeah you know, normally we have scotch, so we're drunk. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and then it's about Bruce's sexist jokes. Is He tells a lot of sexist jokes and we get a lot of trouble for that. But he's being really polite today and that's why it's, it's not really you're not that funny today actually
2: <laughs> well they can see me there's enough to laugh at <laughs> I just want to, before I get into the podcast, and of course I'll just be silly and inane and like I normally am, just want to point out the seriousness of how great what we all do is. And all you people, whether you're students here or friends, being up here on a bandstand and having the opportunity to make music is not something one should take lightly, even though it's a fun, spirited, cultural exchange. It's uh, you're a member of an important legacy of humanity that uh, I'm really honored to share with all of you. And we all need to safeguard the sanctity of creative music and telling your story, your way. <laughs> so thank you. And now, I'll completely blow all that with what I love. <laughs>
0: Actually, uh, this relates to the last podcast you had. You had some really hilarious uh, gig disaster fail stories. I love the, the story about uh, John McPonty and his uh, sequencer going at half speed. Amazing. Do you guys have any more of those? I, I just totally love hearing stuff about that.
2: You know, i got to get right on the subject. But yeah. Yeah.
1: Today, for instance, I was... <laughs> uh, no. I have, like, a lot. That it's hard to remember them because there's so many. You know, like, you wouldn't believe some of the stuff that has happened. And, you know, like, you guys probably consider us professional musicians, I guess. Because you're students, and you, you know, I mean, you look at me. I've traveled all over the world. I've toured all over the world. I've recorded with some of the, you know, big names in jazz. And when I think of some of the bullshit that has happened to me, it's like I was in kindergarten with a bunch of kindergartners, seriously. Like there's this one time where, where a guy, I don't maybe I shouldn't mention his name, but <laughs> I'm supposed to play at the baked potato, it's sold out for both sets, and the guy doesn't show up for the gig, just doesn't show up. So the, the club goes dark, everybody has to get their money back, and I thought, wow, this is the worst thing I've ever experienced, but it got worse. Because I had booked a tour in South America and this was at a time where um, there was a kind of a disaster in South America and my agent down there had moved to Spain, took in his whole family and moved to Spain because the economy was better there. So I had to book the whole tour myself. Like I had to call a, a guy, in, a promoter in Argentina, one in Brazil, one in Chile, one in Venezuela. It took me months to book that tour. The same guy who didn't show up the Big Potato canceled the tour a week before the tour. Right? So not only are the promoters freaking out, and everybody's just losing it. Where am I going to find a drummer? What am I going to do? How am I going to afford to pay the $5,000 in airline <laughs> tickets that are unrefundable in this asshole's name? What, what was his I'm, reason? Huh? What was his reason? Because he's a fucking idiot. That's a good reason. Yeah. So so, <laughs> good reason. so, 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 anyway, and he's immature and he's just like a fucking kid. Right. Right? So, that's what I'm saying. You wouldn't think this kind of shit happens in the professional world, but it does. Ask Kim Basinger. You know, she got sued for about $5 million for, for, you know, uh, uh, d- What band does she play in? Yeah. She, anyway. <laughs> Yeah, so there was no contract, but they sued her anyway, and, and, they, and the movie won the lawsuit because she went a- against her contract. Anyway, so that's how I met Alan Hertz. I met him in Puerto Rico. There's Alan Hertz right there, our drummer. He's and, the guy responsible for Zika. And he's... Yeah, okay. yeah. so I saw this guy selling drugs on the corner, and I said, that looks like a drummer. And, 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 and that's where I met Alan in Puerto Rico, and he didn't, he, you know, had learned the music and, and we played our first gig, basically with not much of a rehearsal, and he, luckily, somehow, we didn't get docked. You know, so here's another story, if you want to, here's a good one. Here's a, this is an amazing one. This guy, we're going to Asia, Japan. Japan is really strict with the visas. So here's guy, you know, we had letters months before, Here's your visa, you know, here's your application, fill out the application, take your passport and the application to the visa agency on Wilshire at the Japanese embassy, hand you your passport, pay your money. A week later, you get your passport back, you're set to go to Japan. This guy just didn't do it. So he showed up at the airport with no visa. And I'm like, okay, so this guy's staying in L.A., and the bass player, drummer, and keyboard player are gonna fly to Japan and leave this sorry motherfucker here at the air, in the airport. Need I go on? I mean, this is actually I, it, I did that
2: once.
1: Talk about I did that once. I did
2: that once, and um, yeah, I, it was just a big tour. It was a moderate jazz festival all star tour, and, and I just didn't get that letter that said I had to do it. Uh So I Uh I I mean, I mean, because I really take care of stuff like that. So I'd show up at the airport and everybody's got their visa and I don't. So I had to pretend like I didn't know anybody and get in a different line and just act like I was a uh, tourist. You know, I was just going to visit some friends and hope that nobody checked to see if my name was on any posters, you know, and they didn't. And I could have been arrested, I guess, but... I didn't, and uh, I got lucky. I got lucky, but it was a dumb thing to do. But hey, nobody's human. <laughs>
1: <laughs> let, me, let me check out something. I think I have something that you can hear.
2: What? What's, what's,
0: what do you Uh oh. We ladies and gentlemen, I think we, would not I think we got some this. multimedia
2: stuff happening here. You
0: oh, won't believe he, this. He's never done this before.
2: No, this is the first time he's done this. I'm a little afraid. So right now for you people on the radio, uh, Scott has whipped out his computer. (laughs) And uh, he's now logging on. Mac listen. uh, He's done this from time to time, and it never really works out. But he likes to do it anyways. (laughs) So uh, this is another one of the big gig fails that have happened to me. I I was once on this gig, and (laughs) we were playing before a band it was one of these new bands like it was like either abba or the Bee Gees or something and we were just a big band and we were and we were playing you know and, and they had their stuff set up and we were a big band and we were just kind of set up around them. it was a small fairly small place for them to be playing but and we're this this, this this traditional swing big band for dancing and dinner you know and then we and then they come up and they're the show band well i took my music folder which was and I just put it down on this platform thing because <laughs> I had to plug into my amp. Well, it was on top of a little computer uh, synthesizer. And it activated it. And, like, the show started playing. <laughs> and I'm standing there, and, like, there's, there's all these guys in tuxedos. We're not, like, the Bee Gees or ABBA or whatever it was. And, and all of a sudden, I put this thing down, and it's there's a big drum set, and there's this whole like all these background singers going, and I'm, and I'm like freaking out because you know like, and and the sound person's like doing this, and and I'm just like pushing buttons on this thing, <laughs> and every button I push just changed something, you know. But it was just it's this whole, the whole show was just being played, and it was also showing that most of the show was recorded, and they were probably lip syncing and doing all this stuff, and so. Um, Eventually, the sound man ran down and just pulled the power cord out of it, which I should have thought of, but I forgot my pedal board today, so I'm not so good with that stuff.
0: You, you told that story on the podcast, but you... uh, Sorry, folks. No, but you said it was someone else, and now you're no, admitting uh, it to no, 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 no.
2: Did you guys hear that? No, the yeah. drummer, no, no. No, no, the drummer one that I told—that was a drummer story. Oh, so that you had different. one too? That happened to me. Yeah. Did what it, was it before
0: or after the drummer story that it happened to you? Oh, uh, the
2: drummer story was years before that. So you, you know, you, yeah, that you, technology was was different with the drummer. It so wasn't you, the same thing.
0: Oh, okay. So you didn't learn from your fir- the first mistake? No, no. <laughs> okay.
2: No, I I'm a guitar player. I don't learn from anything. But no, the drummer one was was equally funny because he was just this kind of pizza making looking guy and. And it was just this, you, you go back and listen to the
1: old podcast, you'll hear that story. Yeah, this is, I, I remember there was a, there was a great story. Um, there was a really great story one time, our very big drummer was, we were, you know, in Vegas, just uh, on a layover, catching a flight to LA, and he was with his, a, a big band, and he happened to think he was late for the plane, so he was running, and he stepped on one of the trombones... <laughs> the guys, and just crushed the bell completely like a pancake. And one of the guys next to him said, 75 trombones. In there. <laughs> anyway, so here's something that's really, I find, quite amusing. Tribal Tech. Um, anybody know the band Tribal Tech? Yeah. It was like my old, my old, you know, band. Um, we hired a manager. And for a little while, because oh, I, th- I, th- I thought, you know, Maybe this manager can get us a better record deal, some better perks, blah, blah, blah. So here's a message that this manager left on my message machine. (laughs) Are you ready for this? Here we go. Check it out. Scotty, Bill, I got a bill here for $4.45. I know it's not a lot of money, but it's coming out of my checking account. I need
3: that check because... Kind of like edging on the, I'm bordering on the edge here. So um, this is for mailing to uh, Bruce DeLeon Artists for you guys. So $4.45 if you can zap that check out to me. Uh, I want to put it in my account too work. Uh,
1: <laughs> this is the professional world of music. This guy needs a fucking check for $4.45, and he's a manager, right? Jesus Christ. I mean... That's the kind of shit we have to deal with. Yeah, but do you guys have that kind of money? <laughs> that's why I never sent the check because I didn't have that money. Well, he he called
2: me up for a gig, and the first thing I asked him was, "What's it going to cost me?"
1: So I think that's enough stories, right? Of like <laughs> big fails in the music industry. Yeah, yeah. 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 Believe me. Yeah,
2: it, it gets worse. You it, see, but the whole idea of putting those two words together—think about it. Music industry.
1: <laughs> Think about that.
2: You know what I mean? It's kind of yeah.
1: weird. It's yeah. like it's like military
2: yeah. intelligence.
1: My friend has a great... My, my friend's a bass player, and he has a great card. He's a bass player. And his card, business card, says, you know, so-and-so-and-so bass, serving art and industry. <laughs> I thought, okay... That makes sense. That's good. Sometimes his base is a paintbrush. Sometimes it's a broomstick.
0: <laughs> All right, who's next question? Facebook Live question.
2: Wow, we're on live Facebook, everybody. Oh, Witness is, protection, get out of here quick. Uh, 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 this
0: has never happened before. This is from Joel. He said, I'd like to hear about composing, question mark. Any thoughts on that process?
1: Well, we yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Mark. Appreciate it. Oh, what's his name? Joel. Sorry, Joel. Did win the pedal? No, because it's a good question. I'm just too lazy to answer it. It's, it's
2: very general and, and big, though, you know, but hey, we like to write music, composing, arranging. It's all something you should do. Really, if you're a jazz musician, you're doing it when you're playing anyways. It's just the the speed with which you have to do it and the ability you have to change it and control it becomes different and there's more gravity to it when, when you are composing and arranging versus playing. But ultimately, it should all be part of one big whole musician who's got a musical vision, a sonic vision, and is creative and willing to trust themselves and their instincts and not worry so much about Will it make money, or will other people like it? Just be true to yourself.
1: Yeah, my, my answer would be a little more technical because there's things that people do that they um, there are not many. I hate to say this. this is, I'm going to say something really mean. Say it. Go ahead. Say, say it, it. Do it. Do. It. Um, there 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 are certain composers, right? That that. Uh, Jeez, how do I say that without offending everybody out there in the world? There's, there's some composers that you feel like the music was just written on a napkin and then brought into rehearsal and rehearsed for a couple minutes and then played, and that's called a composition. Uh, it is a composition. It depends on what you expect from a composition. Now, when I hear a band like Weatherport... That's a fucking composition. Those are compositions. Those people put a lot of time and energy into that music, you know, and it's timeless music and they're great composers. They're not just composers, they're great composers. John Williams, Joe Zolinel, Wayne Shorter. These are the guys I really look up to because these are really badass composers. So I know because I have transcribed almost just so much music from all of those guys and I see what goes into it and it ain't a bunch of two fives strung together. It's some really deep shit, really. So I know when I when I pick that part pick it apart and see what makes it tick. I I see what that it is very non scientific. It's way more art than science. Because there's not usually a whole lot of theory going on that would explain those moves that they made. Those moves were made because they heard them and they liked them, not because the five chord goes to the one chord. You know, all rules were thrown out the window. Who knows why they did went to this chord? Who knows why Wayne Shorter went from to that D-flat major from that G major 7 in, in Anna Maria? It's it's like if you take that little chord progression out of context and put it in a very small little thing, it sounds like shit. But if you put it in the context of the tune, it's gorgeous. So so you know just like you learn how to play by listening to the masters, you learn how to compose by transcribing the masters exactly the same. You you they all have their little tricks. Donald Fagen has a million of these little things that he does that are that are him. And I can tell him when I listen to his music. I hear these certain chord progressions. Jocko has this thing that he does a lot, and I hear it in his tunes. And um, I can tell Wayne's writing a um, boom. He he choos- chooses certain chords and in certain intervals that make you know that that's Wayne and Joe the same and John Williams. Jeez, I mean you know John Williams right I mean you've heard all this incredible music that he's written so you have to actually do the work of transcribing that and you know of course transcribing chords is a little bit tougher than transcribing single lines it's a little more work you have to you have to know the quality of the chord you have to uh, I don't usually write down rhythms because that's you know if I I can just sing it what I want to do is I want to take these incredible grand, textural orchestration compositions and boil them down to just chords and melody so I can play the chords and sing. And I can just play that tune on my guitar, play the chords, sing the melody and go, why the hell didn't I think of that? That's how you learn how to compose. Then you learn, you learn all everybody's tricks and you steal from everybody. Steal from one guy, it's plagiarism. Steal from everybody, it's research. All good composers steal. All of them. That's a fact. So now let me go on for just one second, give you some really quick composing tips. Very quick. Okay, he's, he's tired. He, he snores when I talk too much. It's okay. Sometimes what I do, and it's a really good way to write music, the first thing you need is rhythm because it's really good to write in real time. Writing in stop time is not, not really that smart. Because rhythm tells you what kind of a tune you're going to write. And rhythm, you've got to pour the notes and the feel into something. So there's got to be a rhythmic groove happening so you know what kind of song you're writing. So create a drum loop and make it sound good because you're going to be listening to it for a long time. And what I like to do is record it on a CD, just a loop, and have 60 minutes of a, a drum loop going on while I'm driving around in my car. And just listening to those drums, listening to that groove, and my m- imagination goes crazy. I start thinking of all these rhythmic and melodic ideas that could happen over that groove. And I got my iPhone right here, and all I got to do is put it on record and sing. Not like Beyonce, because I don't sing quite as good as Beyonce, almost, but not as good. But but I sing, you know, just rhythms. I might go if the, if the groove is, I might sing, do do better. Badum, Badum, and I'm just composing with my voice and rhythms, making rhythms. If I do that for 60 minutes on a drive, I'm going to have some good stuff. You know, not all of it's going to be good, but some of it's going to be good. Then I have a really great blueprint for a tune then I can go home, then I can work in stop time and figure out notes for all those rhythms and chords for all those rhythms. Because now the tune is basically already written. All I need is notes and chords for it. You see what I mean? It's a good tip. It's just a quick way to come up with music with, and you don't even need your instrument. It's just what's in your imagination over this groove that you're doing. So that's a really good Good it's I hope it's a helpful hit. You should try it because it's amazing the, the kind of stuff you'll come up with even without your axe. Another way to do it is sitting at home listening to that same groove and just playing your guitar. Play, 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 play for hours over that groove. And guarantee you're gonna come the next day and you're gonna get these little pieces of gray information. You know, you're gonna throw some in the trash and then you're gonna keep some of it. And those little gems that happen that were just, you know, fluky things you're going to go, that's a great idea for melody right there, and that's another way to do it. But my point is, you're doing it in real time, so it's more organic than just sitting there going, hmm, should it go do boo boom boom or should it go dee-dee-dee-dee, duh-duh? <laughs> <laughs> I need a beat. And it doesn't necessarily even have to be a, a drum groove. It could just be a metronome. Am I writing in this tempo, or am I writing in this tempo? Because I'm going to think of totally different ideas depending on how fast the tempo is. My rhythmic ideas, my rhythmic vocabulary is going to change depending on how fast the tempo is. So that's it. I'm done. Bye. Do we have any more questions? He
0: asked. Yeah, I, he did. It was a good, um, good answer. I like this, it.
1: Uh, this one is for Scott. Um, I graduated here in 91, and I had you in open counseling. For Sorry like to hear here. that, man. I, did <laughs> so, I do, scar you for life, or you're <laughs> all right? I'm okay. okay. But uh, now you're still here 25 years later, right? And my question to you is, How is your, has your approach to teaching changed over the last well, 25 years? Well, now instead of... I've found a better grade of gasoline to throw on my kids before I set them on fire. It burns much quicker. And it's less painful. No, seriously. I'm, I'm, I, has my approach changed? I don't think it has. I was a nice guy back then, and I'm a nice guy now. <laughs> <laughs>
2: what was it, Bruce? Uh, uh, maybe direct deposit. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right. That's what, yeah. I get my checks direct deposit now instead of in the mail. No, I think it's basically the same. You know, you were there. There's a bunch of guys hanging around in open counseling, and and we just trade off and and play and have fun. And and when I do something, I ask people to stop me.
2: This one. This one's. Um For Scott, again. Sorry, Bruce. We all know Bruce will play anywhere, anytime. okay. Okay. He'll play anywhere, anytime. And we also know that Scott is funny about his rig, maybe peculiar, not peculiar, funny. Retarded? No. Is that what you're trying to say? No, no, not at all. (laughs) Not at all. But do you ever sit down on the couch or maybe around the campfire with an old fucked up acoustic and just play mamas and papas songs?
1: <laughs> you know what? You just won the pedal.
0: <laughs> oh my God. That's all it took?
1: I could have asked that question. <laughs> That's awesome. Because who would bring up the mamas and the papas? It's uh, You know what? You won the pedal. That's amazing. That's great. But, but. No, I, I mean, I do sit at home with just, you know, a guitar plugged in and just play, but it's not acoustic, because uh, acoustic guitars hurt my fingers. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Aww. Aww, <laughs> oh, I wish I
1: <laughs> hurt my fingers. Well, What's the question here? Yeah. Tell them why you became a jazz musician.
2: Oh, I became a jazz musician because I hate crowds.
1: <laughs> and I became a jazz musician because I hate women. <laughs>
0: We got another uh, Facebook Live question here from Matt Butler for Bruce.
2: What? Bruce? For Bruce, what? why he saw me sleeping? That's what yeah. it was. He, fit, he says he felt bad for you, okay. yeah. and I appreciate that. You know, believe me, pity. You know, is I'm trying to elicit that from everybody through my playing.
0: <laughs> he he asks, how important is relaxation in the arms and body when it comes to your tone?
2: Sorry. <laughs> That's really deep.
1: Okay, you don't get the pedal anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: Uh, well, all I can say is, you know, it's great to imagine yourself super relaxed, but if you were uh, totally relaxed, you'd be a jellyfish. You know, there has to be a certain amount of controlled tension for this to all work, especially if you're doing ridiculously difficult, if you're challenging yourself and trying to do difficult things. So, um, but, but the tension thing and tone, I don't understand where he's, why he chose to connect those two things. Uh, so I'll leave them
1: alone. Uh, you know what? I know what it is, maybe. Well, then he wanted to ask you, but he just felt bad. No, about You me. know, but maybe if you pick too hard, if you're tense and you're not relaxed and you pick too hard, you ruin your tone because most people that have bad tone, they pick real hard and it sounds plinky. It sounds it just especially with distortion. Uh, in fact, I asked Pete Thorne that on the podcast when he was on there because Pete's one of those guys, along with Eddie Van Halen. Um who who, who he isn't really a legato player. He's more of a fast picker. And I hear a lot of guys when they play distortion guitar and pick really fast, it doesn't their tone isn't very good. And I think it's because they pick too hard. And it sounds like the string is being sort of overblown and you get this kind of muddy, kind of nasty thing happening. And the guys like Pete Thorne, who get really great tone and Eddie van Halen, I feel like they're picking really soft when they play fast, and maybe you got to relax to do that. Well, sure you do. I
2: mean, you got to relax to do anything, yet at the same time, tension, the first thing that happens when you're tense, besides your body muscles doing that whole thing that they do, is your ears shut. The first thing I notice with tension is, like, my ears start to close, and I can't hear as well. And right there, I mean... Kiss tone goodbye, kiss time goodbye, <laughs> kiss musical interaction goodbye. You see what's happening, you know, so you gotta remember to breathe. And you know, if you're playing with other people, back to my the nerves question, which I think is also with tension, just treat it like energy. You're playing with other people usually. And even if you're playing alone, there's nothing wrong with taking a little bit of time and not doing anything and letting it help you. Uh-oh, you yeah. didn't mean to ask it to me. That's really so clever. Yeah. yeah. He says I ask for it because I often play hollow body moves and sucks unless I relax and let the pick fall. Well, yes, that can be true, but also it can be a drag if you hold your pick too soft cuz then it'll flap against the string and give that sort of sound we all had from putting a a, a card in the spokes of a bicycle wheel, you get that so, Yeah, I mean, you just kinda, it just flaps against the next string as you as you strum or play. So there has to be some sort of connection. And I think the more firm you hold the pick, even though you don't strike hard, but the firmer you hold the pick on a hollow body or any acoustic instrument, you're going to get a truer bell-like tone, which the most sound the instrument can give you is usually the best way to get the most control over the nuance to back off.
1: Yeah, it's a medium. You know, when I see Bruce play, I, I feel like he's just hitting the strings in a nice medium way. He's never like going boink. You know, you know the sound a guitar makes when you hit the string too hard. It just, it's sort of like hitting a drum too hard. You knock all the tone out of it. And if, if good drummers know how to hit the drum and make the tone blossom out of the drum. If you hit, the, hit it too hard, all you hear is the initial crack and you don't hear any of the blossom. Same thing if you pick too hard, all you hear is the plink and you don't hear the note.
2: Right, and I think that he asked me, you know, there's there's a, there's an implied thing almost in that question that uh, because I'm playing clean or a, an acoustic instrument, that, it, that there's some sort, it's more important, you know, because it's not processed, but it's not the case. Regardless of whether you have 50 pedals or no pedals, the, the elements of tone production are still impo- the same, Im- equal importance throughout the entire the entire gamut of that. I really, you know, guys who sound great when they're playing distorted or heavily processed or have the same qualities about their playing that the guys who are playing acoustic instruments have. That's just, there's a general physics here involved that you can't avoid.
0: Mm -hmm. This is like the deepest Guitar Wing podcast ever.
2: Uh, We got a very uh, important group of people here and we don't want to mess them up too bad, at least while we're looking (coughs) at them. You know, usually we're in the studio. We don't know they're out there, so we can say, "Well, screw them." But now we're looking at (laughs) it's easier
1: to scar people for life when you can't see their faces. It's sort of the you know, like the
2: (laughs) Facebook thing. All of I'm a lot braver on Facebook than I am
0: in real life. Is is everyone here a subscriber to Guitar Wank podcast? Because if if you're not, you should leave now. Uh, No, subscribe. We we really would appreciate that because we are about to give away some amazing prizes. Wire World Pro Audio, Instrument Cables, we've got three of those to give away, and a Sir... Oh, did we give it away? Did you really okay, give it away? We, we it did, away. right? we have got to honour that, right?
2: Anybody who said Mamas and the Papas in a question, to
1: Scott Anderson gets that. Wow, awesome. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah. Thank Thank That's one thing I never expected to hear at this event, Mamas and, Mamas and the Papas. I used to
2: play those tunes all the time, so yeah. <laughs> All right, Scott. This actually, is actually he played with he had a question. Phillips. He played with oh. the children of the Mamas. That's the right. Moms oh, okay. On the road, I heard it. I heard him do that. Yeah, I heard you do that. It was. They had some amazing. It songs. was good, and you played your you, ass off. You
0: shred on over sure. those songs. They yeah. don't like
2: it. He
1: had a question. Who we got the them? end? Oh
2: yeah. yeah, yeah, my man. Good. <laughs> so, um,
0: Scott, when you're using your board, is there a, a limit, like? Because, you know, so you see some people with like
1: 50 pedals on their boards,
0: and I'm assuming at a certain point it just starts sucking your tone. Do you kind of like have a, a limit where you're like, I'm only going to yeah, use like... Yeah,
1: there is a limit, yeah. if, if Well, I mean, if, if there's a buffer involved, you could have 100 pedals. Okay, but, yeah. you know, because y- you've seen those boards where it's the pedals are in loops, you know what I mean? And all you're doing is turning off a loop of the oh. cord that goes to the pedal. Sure, yeah. And those things have a buffer built in. You could have 20 million pedals, and it wouldn't make any difference because the buffer is keeping your signal pure. But then the question is, do you like the sound of a buffer? I hate it. Really? It's a horrible sound. Yeah. I, don't, I, I hate buffers. because The reason why is because they put out a frequency that's way like even above 16K. It's very bell-like and tweeter-like. And what that amounts to is when you turn on a distortion pedal, it starts turning into fizziness, like, you know, that horrible fizz. That In ACDC, that fizz is what you want. I mean, it's part of rock and roll. But for me, I don't want that fizz, fizzy crap on the top of my notes. I want it to be smooth. And so I, I use true bypass pedals, then I don't need a buffer. And there is a limit, maybe four or five. If you go through more than four or five, you start to hear the tone kind of get funny. Right. Yeah, that's it. So is that's that, why. you're that question like one, well? one, two, three, four, five mm-hmm. pedals? That's it.
2: Yeah. Well, I have a buffer too, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> it usually involves, you know, a lot of cartridge. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Dave. Yeah. We've we've done that together, haven't we? So. <laughs> Anyways, uh, yeah, buffering. Okay. I buffer my brain. I don't do it with pedals.
0: All right, we're going to give away a guitar cable. Um, Bruce, you want to pick a a number? Oh, okay, cool. Oh,
2: and this wire world? Wire world. What in the wire world of sports is going on here? Okay, I got one here. The last four numbers are 483. 483. Anybody got it? Oh, the people are just leaving. You don't even want a wire world cable? All right. He got it. Pink Floyd's got it. Congratulations. Dun, 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 Come on, dun, everybody. Be happy for him. Yeah, right. <laughs> man, oh. I have one of those. I use it. It's a really good cable, man. Great cable. All oh. right, Scott, you want to pull one?
0: I mean Do take a ticket. A ticket out. Pull a ticket out. <laughs> Jeez. Can you read it?
1: Uh, just the last four numbers. Yep. Nine four seven two.
0: Nine four seven two.
1: Ta-da! All oh.
0: right. What did he win? He wanted another guitar cable, man. And uh, these are wild well, These are
2: really expensive. They're like yeah. 110 and I remember 10 bucks. I remember back oh back in the last century, yeah, yeah. and this guy brought this cable to my gig once, and he says, "Man, you should play this cable. It sounds better." And I laughed so hard I nearly peed in my pants. This is, you know, and I told all the guys, "Man, this guy just brought me one of these cables, and he told told me it sounds better." Then another cable, and I'm like, "This is the dumbest. This is the biggest man. Whoever thought this up, he's going to make a lot of money off a lot of stupid people." Anyway, so I he said, well, will try it." And so I like played for a couple of notes, didn't change anything. Put the new chord in, played the same exact thing, and went like, "Oh shit!" <laughs> it really, I mean, it was subtle, and like the other guys in the band really couldn't hear the difference, but I could. And it made me feel a little different. So I just want to say that, uh, you you know, we're guitar players. You try different picks. You try different pedals if you use them. Try different strings. Try different amps. Try different settings. Try different cables. It's, I mean. Different wives. You're, 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 <laughs> well, speaking of which, your wife won't hear the difference. But you, if you do, that's what matters. This is your sound. Whatever makes you more comfortable and makes your music better, that's worth any amount of money you pay. We, do we have
0: any lady listeners to the podcast? that?
1: Right, there's one right there.
0: Unbelievable. is there the one first right one I've there, ever right seen there, in my life. There's
1: one right there. Thank you for coming.
2: <laughs> I hope that I hope that he, is uh, good for size. For those of you on air, he just threw her a live baby. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right, the last uh, guitar cable we have. Thank you, Wireworld, for uh, giving these away. This is awesome. Um, you guys want to do the last one? This is it.
2: We gotta ev- evacuate the room pretty soon. Yeah, we gotta excavate the room. Last four, last three n- numbers is probably all we need. Four, three, six.
0: Four, three, six. All right, all right. And he
2: won that fair and square he acoustically. Did.
0: It was nothing to do with the money you gave me before. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much. Thank for you. He's thank even you. proving it. Look at awesome. that. Wow. He's actually none of the other people gave it the tickets. I know, but far. nobody
2: disputed it. So
0: like anyone could have won then. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we would like to thank you for attending the first Guitar Wank Roadshow here at MA. Thank you for coming. We really appreciate it. Bruce Scott, always a pleasure. Dear Dario, thank you so much, sir. Who else we got? We've got Dunlop Musicians Institute.